our vision, uh, which you can find a vision statement on our, on our website. What is it we're hoping to see? What we're working together to achieve? Well, we want to see lives transformed through Jesus to the glory of God. Lives transformed through Jesus to the glory of God. And um, last Sunday, we had uh, a wonderful uh, baptism. Uh, Babette was baptized here. And if you missed her sharing her story, you can go to the, um, the, the link on our website, the big V at the top of the banner. You can click that and you can hear her sharing her testimony from last week. It's an amazing, uh, amazing to hear her story. She, uh, she grew up in um, New Caledonia, went to church, but wasn't really a Christian, pursued the party life. Um, Really, she got into despair, and uh, she moved to a haymarket, walked up the road, came in, re- was reminded of the gospel she'd heard growing up, and uh, Jesus broke into her life, and she, she turned to him for forgiveness. She repented of her sins. She asked uh, for God to forgive her because of Jesus, and her story is one of transformation from despair to delight, and she was glad to share her story with us last Sunday. So check that out, it's a great story. And I was just reflecting on a story this week and realizing that over the last couple of years, we've had the privilege of uh, seeing a number of people sharing their stories and getting baptized, and at least six of them have had a very similar story where they either in the past attempted suicide or were seriously considering suicide, they walked in the doors, they heard the good news about Jesus, they received a welcome, and they, they believed the gospel, and they've moved from despair to delight. This is what God is doing in the world today through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to remember those stories of despair to delight as we turn to uh, the next chapter in Isaiah. We're, We're preaching to the book of Isaiah, and we've got to Isaiah chapter 62. Because God is actually, these stories really are part of God working out his salvation plan for human history. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one, so put your hand up. We'd love for you to have it right in front of your eyeballs. So please don't be embarrassed putting your hand up if you don't have a Bible. But if you do, turn up to Isaiah 62. If you have a church Bible, just turn to page 750. Uh, This was written by Isaiah the prophet uh, in the 8th century before Christ. Keep putting your hand up, they'll keep bringing you Bibles. Uh, Eight centuries before Jesus turned up, Isaiah uh, had his prophetic ministry in Jerusalem, and he wrote it down, and we're here now in chapter 62. Because he has a vision here of where God is taking human history. This is where God is moving all of human history. So do you want to find out what it is? Isaiah 62. Get your eyeballs on it. Let me read from verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silence. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You'll be called by a new name 
that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you'll be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who drink the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through. Pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. This is God's word. And I am more excited about this passage than I have time to teach it to you. So keep it open. The structure of my talk today really is, is on that first verse. I want us to see what it means when it says, for Zion's sake. And really my prayer for us today is that we will feel God's passionate delight for his saved people. We'll not just see it, we'll feel it. And then my second point is this. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. I want us to see what happens when you are so gripped by God's vision for the future. I want you to see that when this vision grabs hold of you, you can't keep silent. You can't keep still because it drives our prayer and our action as a church. All right, that's where we're heading this morning. So first point, for Zion's sake. Now what's the big deal about Zion? Physically, geographically, uh, we're talking about the city that was conquered by King David. It became Jerusalem, it became the capital city of Israel, it became where the king lived. And within Jerusalem, and of course you can still go to Jerusalem today, I think I saw lots of snaps from Derek and Ann Nash's 
trip. I don't know whether they're back from Jerusalem yet, but they were tweeting about their various uh, sites they visited in Jerusalem. But within Jerusalem, you've got a, a little hill called the Mount of Zion. And on Mount Zion actually is where um, a, God commanded that a temple would be built. It would be sort of the centerpiece of Israel. It's where Israel would come to be close to God, to worship God, to, to, to draw near to him. And that's what it was sort of geographically. But this became in a sense, the visible sign of a spiritual reality. And as you read through the book of Psalms, as you read through the prophets, you'll see that the word Zion really is a statement of, um, of God's blessed people. God's blessed and secure people who are living in joyful relationship with God, in joyful fellowship with God. That is what is meant by Zion. Um, and the thing about this picture of Zion is it, it wasn't just precious to the people. It was precious to God. That's the point of these verses. And what I want to say to you today is that do you know the value and the preciousness of God's saved people to God? I fear that sometimes we labor under the sense that God sort of saves us but is a bit reluctant about us. But you know what, I, if you think that, it'll really distort your understanding of the Christian faith. You need to see today how incredibly precious and delighted God is in his saved people, in you if you're in Christ today. And actually, God has got to delight not just in us as individuals, but in us as individuals gathered together in Christ as the people of God. God's got a passion for his church, for Charlotte Chapel, for other churches, gospel churches in this city and in this nation. He's got a passion for his people. Do you know how precious you are to him? Well, look at this glorious vision of what God's going to do for Zion. In a sense, chapter 62 it is at the end of a little section between 60 and 62 where we get this amazing picture of the glorious future of Zion. Have a look at uh, verse 1 in, in chapter 62. What's God going to do in the future? Well, he talks about in verse 1, the second half of it, there's a day coming when her vindication, or another word there could be her righteousness, shines out like the dawn. Do you see why I've got that picture on the slide? There's the dawn cracking over the horizon. The sun is about to shine out. And that's the picture that we've got here, that, 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 that there's a day coming when righteousness will shine out of Zion into the world. In fact, it's gonna, his salvation is going to be like a blazing torch that blazes from Zion out into the world, into the darkness of the world. And they're going to see it, verse 2. The nations will see it. It's going to be like a lighthouse, like a beacon, like a laser light. Presidents, prime ministers, kings will see the glory of Zion. On half-term break, um, Shona and I and Tom I, uh, were in London. We went around the Houses of Parliament, and I was delighted to be reminded that every day the Houses of Parliament open with prayer. Do you know that? 
And uh, uh, before they conduct their business, this is the prayer that they pray every day. Lord, the God of righteousness and truth, grant to our queen and her government, to members of parliament and all in positions of responsibility, the guidance of your spirit. May they never lead the nation wrongly through the love of power, desire to please or unworthy ideals, but laying aside all private interests and prejudices, keep in mind their responsibility to seek to improve the condition of all mankind. So may your kingdom come and your name be hallowed. You know, that's prayed in our Houses of Parliament every day before they conduct business. You see, the, the light of salvation is so shone from Zion that even we in Britain still praise this God and say, pray your kingdom come. Isn't that amazing? Still there. And verse 3, there's a, there's a well, end of verse 2, there's a, there's a time when Jerusalem, Zion, will be known by a new name. There's going to be continuity with the past, the history of Israel, but there's going to be transformation because there's a new name that God is going to bestow upon them. And it's fascinating to see Jesus calling the 12 disciples to himself. Uh, calling them up to him on a mount. A new Israel. And by the end of uh, the story of his death and resurrection, he sends them out with all authority as the king of all the peoples to call to the nations to come and become his disciples. There's continuity from the past, but transformation. This Zion now is, is seen in the unfolding story of the Christian church made of Jew and non-Jew as it goes out into all the earth. Verse 3 what, what, what is this reality to God? Well, Zion will be a possession of royal worth and dignity, a crown, a diadem in the Lord's hand. I don't know whether you saw a few years ago, they, they re-showed the, uh, the, the Queen's coronation and the, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury held the coronation crown as he walked very carefully towards the Queen. You don't want to drop the crown, do you, on the coronation? It's a sign of dignity, of her rule. And he placed it on her head. Well, Zion will be to, to God like that crown, that diagram, the sign of his lordship, his kingship, the dignity of his kingship in all the earth. Verse four. No longer seen as deserted, forsaken, desolate, but instead God says, I'm going to call you something else. You're going to be delighted over, cherished, loved. Uh, Hepzibah, Beulah, you don't need to know Greek, it's in the footnote, it tells you what it is. Instead of God calling them, instead of them being deserted, God's going to say, look, my delight is in her. You know, married couples have little pet names for each other behind doors, hopefully warm and loving words, Right? Here's God's pet name for Zion. Hepzibah. My delight. Beulah. My married one. The bride of God. As a pastor, you get, the, uh, you get a front row seat to witness the delight of the bridegroom. Uh, quite often we get to stand up here uh, with the bridegroom at the start. There's all that nervous energy. How long is she going to take? And some of you girls do take a while. But when she turns up, you see the smile. As she walks up the aisle, you just see the total delight in the bridegroom. 
and you get to that point, you may kiss the bride. Sometimes it gets a little awkward. They're so excited. There's such enthusiasm. You are mine and I am yours. Next wedding, remind yourself, this is God's delight for Zion. This is Christ's delight for his church. Do you know the, 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 the story of the Bible begins with a wedding and ends with the greatest wedding of all? Christ grinning as his beautiful bride, the new Jerusalem, comes out of heaven. Beautiful, stunning, everything you'd hope in a bride. Perfect, beautiful, and you've got the happy ever after for all eternity. And my friends, this is such amazing grace that this is the, the future reality where God's going to take us. Because, you know, if you had the stamina to read the whole of Isaiah in one sitting, you'd discover the very first chapter that the description Isaiah has for Jerusalem is that they're like a prostitute, a harlot, spreading their affections in all the wrong places. The city is, is, is a place full of blood and murder and unrighteousness. And yet God promises in chapter one, by the end of the story, she, once again, the city will be the city of righteousness, the faithful city. God is going to achieve and accomplish this through his amazing plan of salvation, through his suffering servant, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to redeem and ransom and heal and restore and clothe with his righteousness a people who will be standing there on that final day, the glorious Zion. God is the builder. He is the savior who brings us all about by his amazing grace through Jesus. And we all know it. If you're here today as a Christian, you know you're not here because of your righteousness, not because you've been clever. In fact, you know how deep your sin has gone, how unworthy you are. And yet, this God has shown us grace. It's not because of our moral achievements. It's not because we followed the rules of always lived the right way. It's because of his amazing grace that he's incorporated us into his people be part of Zion. And verse 8 to 9 gives us 100% confidence that this glorious Zion will happen. I mean, we look at the current state of the church, we look at the current mess in the world, we look at the mess in our own lives at times, and we think, gosh, how is this ever going to happen? Well, it's 100% secure. The, verse 8, look at that. The Lord has sworn. Now, if God tells you something, you can be 100% confidence is going to happen because he doesn't lie so when God actually swears an oath on top of that that he's telling you the truth he's doing it not for him but for you that you would have 100% confidence that this really is going to happen you can bank your whole life your whole future that this is the reality of where history is heading it's backed by his own power He's personally going to do it by his right hand, by his mighty arm. He promises, look in verse 8, never again will you experience the curses of the Deuteronomic law where 
You're going to work hard making a harvest, but enemies are going to come and take your food away. You're going to work hard making really nice wine, but your enemies are going to sweep in and going to drink all your wine. It's never going to happen again. God promises it. God guarantees it. Never again will the enemy spoil. Never again will there be tears. Never again will there be separation. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, he says. Again, this is amazing grace that is ours, isn't it? He's describing here not just a wedding day, but a future heavenly banquet of food and drink, new wine to delight. And um, he's saying there's a guarantee that this great feast will come and his saved people will get there and they will enter into a continual wedding day feast of fellowship with their God. They're going to eat it praising God, it says in verse 9. They're going to drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Fellowshipping directly with God. Eat and drink with King Jesus and with all his people. Amazing grace. How is this going to be secured? The Lord's mighty arm stretched out on a cross. The Lord's hands pierced to that wooden tree. He's personally going to buy our place in this eternal wedding feast to be, to be right and fit and ready for this wedding day. Amazing grace that saves a wretch like me. He did it personally for me. Now, have you been grabbed by this vision of where God is taking human history? Does this grab your heart? Are you in? Are you in for this? Do you want this? Because when you've been grabbed by it, when you feel, when you see God's passionate delight for his saved people, when that grips your heart, it's going to change everything. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain silent. Quiet. In Hebrew, the word quiet is not, again, so much about speech. It's about saying, I'm not going to stay still. It's like the fidgeting kid who's doing lots of things. And the mum says, would you, would you stop it and be quiet? No, he can't. He's constantly moving. And, and if we get gripped by this vision of God's great passionate love for Zion and what he's going to do and accomplish for Christ church, then it's going to respond in two areas. We're going to respond with ceaseless prayer and ceaseless action. Who is this I who is speaking in chapter 62? Uh, is it the Messiah King, the anointed preacher that we found in, in the chapter the week before in Isaiah 61, who's come to preach good news? Well, quite possibly. Is it Isaiah the prophet, uh, gripped by God's passion for glorious Zion, this wedding day feast and uh, and, and he's so excited, he's, he's saying, I'm going to call out. Well, yes, but my hope and prayer is that we'll be so gripped, it'll be us. By saying, for Zion's sake, I will not 
be silent. I will not keep silence. This person, the Messiah King or Isaiah, is not going to stop calling out to God in prayer that God would bring about this glorious future. Because actually, in Isaiah's day, this is not the way Jerusalem looked. It looked like the, the prostitute city, full of bloodshed. And as time went on, it's never quite looked like this. Uh, even the Christian church today, we see many weaknesses, many failures, many divisions, many disappointments. It's, it's not yet this blazing light of salvation and righteousness shining to the nations, is it? And so when you see the vision of what God has for us, where he's taking us, when you see where you are now, you just have to say, well, for Zion's sake, I will not, I will not keep silent. I'm going to call on God to bring it about. This is clearly only something he can do. I'm going to keep praying boldly that God is going to keep his promises. But God, you said you would do this. Do it. Do it until her righteousness shines like the dawn. Do it till her salvation is like a blazing torch. Not only is the, the, the speaker doing it, but he's appointed in verses um, 6 to 7 others to do it as well. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem, who will never be silent day or night. This person's not going to be silent. He's appointed people on the, on the walls not to be silent. Uh, they are to be watchful prayers. They're to be looking on the horizon to see what God is doing and continually calling upon in prayer. It's a call for ceaseless, watchful prayerfulness. And do you know what? If this was not in the Bible, I would not have the courage to say this. But look what's in the Bible. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. So he's saying to those who should pray, don't give yourself any rest. Keep praying. And give him, give God no rest. God is giving us permission to pester him. Sometimes the child in the supermarket does get the sweeties standing by the checkout, which they so rudely put there because they keep pestering. And God is saying, look, just give me no rest until Jerusalem is established until uh, she is the praise of the earth, until God's people are this. This is very bold intercession, isn't it? Don't let God rest until he fulfills his promises of this glorious kingdom of God. And despite the return from the exile to Israel that we, we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah, despite the fact that they rebuilt the temple and uh, rebuilt the, the, the Jerusalem walls. It was clear to uh, many faithful people in the first century that this was not yet the answer to prayer. Luke tells us about Simeon and Anna. They're there in, where are they? In the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, we're told in Luke chapter 2 that Simeon was a devout and righteous man and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for God to do these things and uh, the Holy Spirit is on him. God had revealed to him that he would not die before his eyes actually saw the Messiah King. And he, one day he comes across Joseph and Mary who've come to the temple with Jesus and he grabs 
well, he probably carefully took the baby, and doesn't grab, took the baby, and in his arms he praises God, Sovereign Lord, as you promised. Dismiss this servant now in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Do you see the light began to shine through Jesus that day, that little baby. The fulfillment of all the promises, and he sees it. This is it, the the salvation light that's going to beam out from the temple, from Jerusalem, out into the nations that will bring salvation. And then there's Anna. You see, watchmen are not just uh, men, they're women as well. Anna is there, and she's been a widow. She's in her 80s, and she has never left the temple. She's kept worshiping night and day, fasting and praying, and she recognized Jesus as well, and she thanks God as she sees the baby, and she can't stop telling people, this is the one. This is the one who's going to bring redemption. This is the one who's going to bring it about. What did Jesus do? Well, he taught his disciples to be watchful and prayerful. Luke 18, he told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It's about an unjust judge. He won't provide, but his widow keeps pestering. And at the end it says... And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The sign of living faith is a praying faith that keeps boldly calling on the promises of God to fulfill all he said he would do. What does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? When you pray, say, Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. This is front and center, isn't it? Longing to see his kingdom established in the world. And my friends, are we ceaselessly and boldly praying for this? Uh, it's, it's okay to pray for your, your hip operation and these sort of things, and God cares about that. But are we praying about this kingdom coming? Is that the burning desire of our heart? We're gripped by the vision of what God's going to do and we're, we're not letting him have a quiet moment because we keep calling out to him to do it. Ceaseless praise, ceaseless action. He says, I will not remain still. I will not be quiet. Look at verse 10. You've got a series of commands here. Pass through. Pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Now, which is the direction of travel? I think the direction of travel is to the people already gathered safely into Zion to leave the safety of Zion, go out to the gates and be busy preparing the way for others to come. Look at the direction of travel, verse 10. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. This is a call for those already who know the joy of being included saved, redeemed, to be busy in making it possible for others to come. There's lots of obstacles that get in people's way to come and hearing about Jesus, aren't there? And our job is to kind of remove those obstacles, place tarmac down so they can easily come to join us to be part of the city of God. Build up the highways, remove the stones, remove the obstacles. 
Are we actively working to make it easier for others to enter into Zion? That's my question. Are we, are we ceaselessly praying and are we ceaselessly working to make it as simple and as straightforward for others to be able to enter into this joyful salvation themselves? You know, that's partly why we moved to this building, wasn't it? The stairs weren't very accessible for people, so we got rid of that obstacle by buying this building. Uh, we care about this whole city, so we're trying to plant churches, and Hope City, uh, a group of guys, went out last Easter, so there'll be another center of gospel witness in the west of the city. Uh, we, we've got a bunch of guys who went to Grace Mount so the gospel could be proclaimed in Grace Mount. People in Grace Mount aren't probably going to turn up here, but maybe they will go to Grace Mount Community Center and there they can hear the good news about Jesus and, and have their lives transformed by Jesus. We want to get rid of the obstacles so that people can come. This place is full. That's great. Is the job done? No, the job's not done. Our vision is bigger than the size of this building, it's the size of the harvest. That's why we're prayerfully considering starting a second service, removing another obstacle, having more seats that people can come. Are we passionately committed to gathering more? That's how this thing ends. When we have a vision of what God is doing, it'll so grip us that we will ceaselessly pray and we'll ceaselessly act to make the way for others to come in. See, this is why we're sending out gospel workers throughout the world we're sending out people who are translating the scriptures into other languages so that people can hear the truth about Jesus. Uh, we're helping finance people in India so they can be trained to be gospel preachers in India so that people in northern India can get to hear about the gospel. And so many mission projects are like this. This is what we're trying to do. Prepare the way for the people. Raise a banner for the nations. We want to say to people, this is our hope. He will transform your lives. He can move people from despair to delight. We want to see many more gathered. Raise a banner for the nations. And verse 11 and 12 is such a beautiful finish. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. And then you have this wonderful statement. The Lord tells us, have your eyes peeled for there is a day coming when this Savior will return. See your Savior comes. See his reward is with him, his recompense accompanies him. What's his reward? What's his payment, his recompense? It's the people of God. Look at them. The holy people the redeemed of the Lord marching behind King Jesus into this glorious Zion, into this wedding day event and a wedding feast that lasts forever. No longer will Zion be deserted. No, she's going to be packed full of secure, saved people. Babette's going to be there. Unbelievably, Paul Reese is going to be there. If you know Christ, you're going to be there. See, your Savior comes. Wow. My friends, if we're gripped with this vision, it will transform everything we do. 
my Christian friends, are you silent? Are you just sitting still? Can I urge you to just meditate on this passage this week? Ask God to so grip your heart that you'll find yourself saying these words, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Zion, for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be still. I will not be quiet. I'm going to be busy in your work. And my friends, if you're not Christians here today, I'm so glad you're here. And I want you to know that um, there's a great wedding day and a great wedding feast that lasts forever, and you are invited it's all been done for you. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to uh, you know, go to John Lewis and find out whether they need towels or something. You can come. It's all been done. But there's an RSVP. You have to say, I'm coming. You have to accept this invitation to be part of this heavenly banquet. Have you done that yet? Have you recognized your sinful state and your need for salvation? Have you come to Christ and say, forgive me, cleanse me, give me your righteousness. I want to be part of this beautiful Zion. I want to be part of this wedding day. I want to be part of this wedding feast forever. You can. The tragedy is this is great news, but lots of people are refusing to come. If I could, I would compel you right now. Come, come. You know, the tragedy is that there are parents here and at the moment, you as children, you're not going to be there. Come to Christ today. There are husbands who are going to be there at the moment. The wives aren't going to be there because they've not replied. And if that's you today, reply. Come to Christ today. Be part of this glorious future. Know the joy and reality of it now. Come to Christ today. If you don't know what that means, if you want to ask more, come and speak to me at the end. I'll be delighted to help you. But may this vision grip our hearts, grip our lives. It's true. It's real. There's hope today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your great love with which you have loved us. Guilty rebel sinners, and yet you've loved us, sent your one and only son to die in our place, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for this amazing grace, this amazing salvation. Well, Father, for those who've not responded, Lord, would you help them even now to come to Christ? And for those, Lord, of us who've responded, may this so grip us that we will live praying and working to see your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in Christ's name.